We're in Luke uh, chapter 11. You can open up there if you have a Bible. Also, we'll put the verses on the overheads. Luke 11, and uh, we've been going chapter by chapter through Luke, and when we finish Luke, we've taught the whole New Testament. So uh, we'll just, we're just clicking away at uh, this last book that we've never taught yet, uh, going through the whole Bible together. And uh, we're looking at Jesus is greater in Luke 11, 29 to 32, and uh, you'll see why we're calling it that. Jesus is greater. And uh, let's read in verse 29, while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, and, and so before we even read any more, the crowds, why were there crowds? Because Jesus had uh, just cast a demon out of a man. That was an impossible situation we learned when we studied that story. It was hopeless. And yet uh, we find with Jesus there are no impossible uh, situations. There are no hopeless situations. But uh, there were some, uh, as they watched that happen, they go, you know what, it's not enough. I want to, we want to see a sign from heaven back in verse 16. And uh, so Jesus is now answering those that were saying, we want to see a sign from heaven. And, and as the crowds were thickly gathered, uh, in the next chapter, we'll see the crowds are so big that people are getting trampled. So that's how thick the crowds are. And uh, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. So this, this is an evil generation. No matter what they hear from me as the, as the son of God, God in the flesh, no matter what they see, it's not enough. Even though this demon has come out of this man and he's in his right mind, they, they want to see a sign from heaven. And Jesus says, no, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And so according to Jesus, Jonah is a, a real person. It's a real story. And we'll bring up the slide as Jesus references Jonah. See that Joppa? We're going to be there. A little over a month, I'll be standing right there where it says Joppa, one of the oldest uh, ports in the world, and God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and instead of going to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Jonah went off 1,200 miles west to modern-day Spain to what is Tarshish. And so uh, when we read Jonah, just let's just camp out here for a minute and go back to this story that Jesus is referencing. Jonah 1.1, you read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So he's not, he's not a make-believe person. This is a real person. Joppa's real. Israel's real. The Assyrians are real. Nineveh's a real capital. And uh, Jonah's a real person. He's got a father. He's the son of Amittai. And God says to him, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And uh, when I read this, when I see that word great, I think of, uh, you know, our political uh, atmosphere here in America and, and just how the culture here, how uh, our country has been referenced as a great country. And uh, you know what? America is a great country. And you know what? The countries of the world look at America as a great country. 
most of the countries of the world dream of living in America because it's a great country. But when I think of our, our great country, I think of this story that this great city of Nineveh was, had become wicked. And God wanted Jonah to go out to Nineveh and say, listen, God sees what you're doing. He sees the wickedness. And, you know, when I think of this, it even makes me think of the days of the judges. When I think about where our country's at, Judges 21-25, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And God had to judge Israel. God had to raise up another nation to come against Israel to get their attention, to get them to repent. And isn't that so much of, of what's happening in America? Our, our country more and more is shifting. Like, there is actually no right. There is no wrong it's just, you know, whatever's right for you is right for you. Whatever's right for me is right for me. Who, who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? And yet, um, with God, there are things that are right and wrong. There are absolutes. There, there are things that are good. And God's word reveals that God also sees things that are evil, things that are wicked. There are lifestyles that are good lifestyles. There's good behavior. And there's wicked uh, lifestyles. There's wicked behavior. And so uh, Jonah is to go and to cry out against their wickedness. Maybe another verse to look at just as we're talking about this. 2 Kings 14.25 says Jonah is from gath Hefer. That, that's up by Nazareth, by the Sea of Galilee. So he's, uh, Jesus, I, I just want you to see that Jesus is referring to Jonah as a real person. This is not a make-believe story. Jonah, Jonah's not a fanciful allegory. This is what uh, liberal scholars just have such a hard time with the Bible. They read this and they think, oh, this is nothing more than an allegory. This is, this is nothing more uh, than somebody, a figment of somebody's imagination. These stories of people being swallowed by whales. And it actually doesn't say whale. It says a great fish. But what I want you to see is that Jonah is a real person. And in our uh, chapter here, as we go to the next verse, verse 30, for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the son of man, Jonah's real, and Jesus, the son of man is real, he'll be assigned to this generation. Now, I'm going to just flip over on our uh, overheads to w the same story in Matthew, and we just are told a little more, where uh, Jesus says to the same crowd, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no same as our uh, chapter here in Luke, will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. But then uh, Matthew gives us more that Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so according to Jesus, Jonah's a type. He's not a make-believe character. It's not an allegory. It's not a children's story. But he's actually a type of his own historical death and resurrection. This real prophet lived in a real city, went to a real capital. He's, a, he's actually a picture. When he was swallowed by that 
great fish. If you know the book of Jonah, maybe you don't know it, and you should go home today and read the Old Testament, uh, four chapters of Jonah. But Jonah is actually a type of Jesus' death and resurrection. For three days, Jonah was as good as dead. And on the third day, that fish vomited him up on the dry land. He's alive. He lives. This prophet lives. He was gone for three days. Now he's alive. So he's a picture of, of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I don't know why it is that liberal scholars have such a hard time with a story like this. This is just laughable on college campuses. If you were to believe that this is a literal story, that's just laughable that anyone would be so stupid to believe this, that it's real. But why, why is that really so hard? Why, why, is that, why is it level? Why is that so hard to believe that God could create a fish to swallow a man? Is, is that really a problem for God? Uh, my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, used to always say, if you can accept Genesis 1-1, you'll be okay with the whole rest of the book. Right? If God is big enough that he can create the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens, all the, all the universes, all the heavens and the earth. And the, the Hebrew word is he spoke it out of nothing. So if God's big enough to create the heavens and the earth out of nothing, if you can get past that, is, is anything really uh, too hard for God? And, you know, when you read uh, the story of Jonah, the part of the story I have a hard time with is not how uh, God created a great fish, but I, I read the story and I just marvel at how stubborn Jonah was. Anybody in here stubborn? You struggle with stubbornness? It, it took Jonah three days in the belly of this fish Seaweed wrapped around his head, 98.6 degrees, and this mammal, you know, going up and down, seasick, before it finally says that Jonah repented. Finally, finally came to the end of himself, and uh, he prayed to God. And uh, we have that saying that someone is stubborn as a mule, right? This is Jonah stubborn as a mule. So actually, this would come, when we talk about stubbornness, a lot of stubborn people, uh, you know, in an agrarian society, you would say stubborn as a mule. In our modern society, you might say stubborn as an Android user. Right? So stubborn that you won't get the greater iPhone. People are just stubborn. Jonah was stubborn. And um, actually, Jonah had to hit there were some people laughing and smiling. There were some people like, okay, well, it's, you know, just kind of making light of it there. But um, Jonah had to hit rock bottom when you read the story. Just all some of these thoughts as uh, Jesus brings up Jonah, I just think of some of these things, just how stubborn he was. And I think, uh, you know, it's a story that a lot of us can relate to because Jonah had to hit rock bottom, literally. The fish, it says, took him down to the moorings of the mountains. So when he got to the very bottom, he finally uh, cried out to God. He finally turned his heart to God. And uh, whenever I go to Joppa, every year we start the Israel tour there, I'm just always reminded from the story of Jonah that there's an easy way. It just seems to be a timeless story that speaks of Jesus 
that Jesus is greater, we're going to see uh, this morning. But it's also a timeless story that speaks of there's an easy way that you can go or there's a hard way that you can go. Some, some of you, you know, that's your testimony. You've gone the hard way. Uh, there's a picture we can bring up. There's an easy way you can go through life or you can make a mess of life. Like, nope, I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. And there you go in circles and circles and backwards and forwards. And you just, everything's all knotted up in your life. One of the, the men that went to Israel with us one year, he, he used to always say on the trip uh, when we would talk about God correcting Israel that you can hear it in the ear or you can hear it on the rear. It's your, your choice, right? Either God can just speak to you or you can make God discipline you. You can go the, the hard way. Even that word vomited, that describes what a lot of people have to go through before God you know, finally gets their attention. They have, to, they have to go through the vomiting processes of life to get from point A to point B. And God will take you that way if that's the only way you'll go. If the only way you'll go is you have to be vomited to get there, you got to go through a lot of vomit, then that's, that's the way God will take you. But that's, that's the hard way to go. And uh, when I think of a stubborn as a mule being a real, a real saying, when I think of Jonah, I think of this Psalm 32. And maybe you do too. It says, one of my favorite verses I will, David says, uh, he speaks of God dealing with him, and God says to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and we'll leave this slide up for a minute, I will guide you with my eye. Just what does that mean? It, it, it obviously means that God was telling David, David, I want to show you the right way to go. And I think that's uh, true for each one of us here. God wants you to go the right way. He wants to show you. He wants to guide you. I used to teach this, and I used to think, uh, when you know, Susie and I were married, and you start to get to know your spouse better, and uh, you could look across the room, and when Susie was ready to go, you could just look at her eye, and she'd just be like, okay, it's time to go. Like, you know, she could guide me with her eye that it's, it's time. And that, I used to think it was something like that. God just wants to look into our eyes and show us what he wants to do. But we're going to see as you read on, it's actually the language of training horses. You're going to see that when we bring the next verse up. But actually what it's talking about is God wants you to become so in tune with him that where his eye goes, you go. His eye goes to the right, you're in tune with him. You feel his weight shift. You feel that. It's so gentle. It's so intimate. God's saying, go to the right, go to the right. God wants to stop. God wants me to back up. Now he's saying left, another left. You know, when God wants us to uh, cultivate, I think that's the best word, cultivate. It is possible to cultivate this life with God where he's able to guide your life. And, and read the next verse, you'll see it's talking about the horse. Do not be, so I want to guide you with my eye. What's it talking about? Well, it's the language of training horses. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they'll not come near you. So bit and bridle speak of pain. Nope, I won't go right unless you pull and the bit pulls into my gum. Okay, well now, now I'll go that way because it hurts. God's saying, I don't want to make it so you have to hurt. And the way God always speaks to me from this verse is, 
when, when he speaks to me about not being like the horse for me, God's always saying, Rob, I don't want you running out ahead of me, showing me what you can do. Look what I can do, God. I can run to the top of the hill. That's not what I want. I don't want you running out ahead of me. I don't want you like the mule, kind of like the picture we saw where every time God's saying to do something, you're digging in. God's trying to show you something. You're like, nope, not going there, not going there, unless he uses pain. So for some people, that's the only relationship they have with God their whole life. God has to get them in pain so that they'll finally go right or left or stop running so fast. And God's saying, I just want to instruct you. I, wanted, I want to so gently you to know me and be familiar with me and know my ways. And I can just show you just with ever gentle moving of my eye that you'll move with me. But, you know, as we talk about uh, Jonah being stubborn and, and having to have the painful vomiting for God to get him not to go to Tarshish, but God wanted him to go to Nineveh. The part of the story uh, of Jonah that I love is chapter 3, verse 1. And it's that uh, verse that says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I just love that. That's all, I've always loved that. Jonah failed. Jonah disobeyed. You know what? You read about Jonah. He was even, it's hard, he was stubborn. He was suicidal. He was unloving. He was bitter. Right? Like a lot of people that go to church. Like a lot of us. But it's amazing that God used this failure. God gave a failure. God gave someone disobedient. God gave someone with a hard heart. God gave someone who wasn't willing a second chance to obey. And then God used Jonah for what is one of the greatest evangelistic harvests of all the scriptures. Jonah did go. He did go to Nineveh, and he did tell him. It took him three days to walk across the city, if you read that whole chapter. And he told him, in 40 days, God is going to destroy Nineveh. Judgment is coming for the wicked lives that you're living. You have 40 days and God's going to overthrow Nineveh. Well, the people believed Jonah. Somehow they had heard that he had died and come back to life. And he was a sign to them that they better listen. And they did listen. They believed. And actually they called a fast in their city. We're a church that does fasting. And they didn't eat food or drink water. And even the king called for all the people to repent and to turn from their wickedness. And all the people did turn from their wickedness. And the king said, let's, let's repent and turn. It may be that God will turn from his fierce anger. God was angry with the wicked lifestyles that they were living that, that's not a very popular message. We see signs in yards that say love, God's love. We want to celebrate love, but our world doesn't like the fact that God is also light. God is love. We celebrate that, but God is also light. And because he's light, there's things that are evil. There are things that are bad. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are destructive. And this king said, who knows, if we, if we turn, maybe God will turn away from his fierce anger. And there's that verse at the end of the chapter. It says, God relented. 
And you read that and you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord God and I change not. And now God is changing. So is that the Bible just kind of, all these contradictions people find. I'm the God who changes not and here he's changing. Well, I, I, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord God who changes not. That's talking about God's character. But God is a God who changes. You could say it this way. God is a God who responds. What does God respond to? He responds when you pray. There's two different outcomes if you pray or don't pray. He responds to faith. There's two different outcomes for you if you'll put faith in Jesus or if you don't put faith in Jesus. He responds to repentance. Whenever people turn, there are two different outcomes. An outcome for people that won't turn and an outcome for people that will repent. And so you read this chapter of uh, the whole, God gives Jonah a second chance. I just love that. I just love that God's a God that gives second chances. And third and fourth, don't you love that about God? Just, I, I, I love that. Well, let's look at our chapter, chapter 11, Luke 11. And we read another verse about uh, the men of Nineveh. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So uh, there is judgment coming. There is, a day, there is a day, according to Jesus, there's a day of judgment coming, right? People can, uh, you know, say there is no God, and I'm going to live my life however I want, and who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? What's I say what's right for me and what's wrong. Well, that's all fine, but according to Jesus, there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of reckoning where men will give account where women, where governors, where kings, where armies, where they'll give account for the lives they've lived, for the atrocities they've done. And the men of Nineveh are going to rise up in the judgment with this generation. They're going to condemn it. Why, why would the men of Nineveh rise up and condemn all those Jews listening to Jesus? Jesus says because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So in the judgment, the great white throne judgment, we're going to talk about that as we finish. Actually, the, the men of Nineveh will be what condemned the Jewish people who didn't repent. Because they just listened to Jonah. Those, those in Israel in Jesus' day, they got to hear the Son of God they got to see him deliver men from the demonic. They got to hear him teach, and they still wouldn't repeat. And by the way, that, uh, that phrase, if you look at it, uh, a greater than Jonah is here. This describes all of those in the Old Testament that are types. It, the whole Bible is pointing you to Jesus. Right? When you start Adam, you read the Bible, Adam actually, the New Testament, points you to Jesus. Jesus is called the second Adam. Uh, Abel is the first shepherd. He points you to Jesus. 
Isaac, the son of Abraham, there's one greater than Abel. There's one greater than Adam. There's one greater than Isaac, uh, the son of Abraham, which is a great story that shows that Jesus is greater. Noah points you to Jesus. Noah, who saved the world. Joseph points you to Jesus. Joseph, the savior of the world, who provided bread that the world wouldn't die. Moses is, it points you to Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses. David points you to Jesus. Solomon points you to Jesus. Jesus the message is of the Old Testament. Jesus is the one. Jesus is greater. That's why we're calling this Jesus is greater. And uh, we skipped over verse 31. Let's look at verse 31. The queen of the south. So uh, a lot of times people aren't familiar with their Old Testaments. It's just where you're at in your walk, and you just haven't learned to eat all the meat that's in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is filled with all of these great, great uh, stories and teachings. And one of them is about the Queen of the South in uh, 1 Kings 10. I'm going to bring it up uh, before you on the screens in a minute. But uh, the Queen of the South, this is uh, talking about the Queen of Sheba, will rise up in the judgment with the, the men of this generation, same, same men that are listening to Jesus, and she'll condemn them, right? Crowds listening to Jesus, but they wouldn't repent. Crowds listening to him, but they wouldn't believe him. Well, the Queen of Sheba is going to rise up on the, the, there's a coming day of judgment. Every one of us will stand in judgment for our sins. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's good news because Jesus took the judgment for you. But if you haven't come to that place where Jesus took the judgment you deserve, you're going to give account for your sins. You're going to bear the judgment one day. And Jesus is speaking about these who are rejecting him and how they're going to be condemned in that day of judgment. The men of this generation are going to be condemned by the Queen of Sheba. And this is why. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon is great, but Solomon points to Jesus as even greater. And I I just thought this morning, since we don't normally, uh, a lot of us don't normally get to read the Old Testament, I just thought we'd bring this story up before us on the overheads, or you can turn there. 1 Kings 10. Let's, let's read about this Queen of Sheba that Jesus is talking about, this Queen of the South. Now, uh, 1 Kings 10, 1, when the Queen of Sheba, now if you were to, to figure that out, that's uh, southeast, about 1,200 miles is where Sheba was. It's uh, what we would recognize today as Yemen. They're in the uh, southern Arabia. And uh, when this Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. And you know what? This whole story points you to one that is greater than Solomon when you read the Old Testament. Because Solomon was able to answer hard questions, but that's who Jesus is, and even in a greater way. A lot of times people are going through hard things that they don't understand. But Jesus is able to bring answers to those hard questions. And verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold, 
and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, so all of this, Solomon is the greatest king in the Old Testament. His kingdom was the greatest kingdom, the most glorious kingdom. And it all points to Jesus. It all points to the, the, the kingdom, to the king of kings and to an even greater kingdom that's going to come one day. But notice that she came to Solomon. And that's actually what we need to do with the coming king, greater than, than Solomon. Just like she came to Solomon, we need to come to Jesus. And she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. You know, the, 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 this is true of Solomon and Sheba, but it's, it's true of Jesus that this is how you actually become saved. You have to come to Jesus. And you have, to, you have to speak with him. No one can speak uh, with him for you. And you have, you have to open up your heart as she did all that was in her heart. And verse 3, Solomon answered all her questions. That's uh, the picture of someone coming to Jesus. He'll help you with all those questions you were struggling with. Maybe not all at once, but as the longer you walk with them, the more he gives you the answers to the questions you're asking. And there was nothing so difficult for the king that he couldn't explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, you know, the Old Testament says there's never been a king censor before that was as wise as Solomon. And so ultimately, this is fulfilled in Jesus. When you come to Jesus, he has the wisdom that, that you, you're looking for, the wisdom that you need. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, which is interesting because Jesus came to build a house. It's, it's called the church. And she saw the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of the waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and the, the, his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her, right? When she saw what Solomon was building, when she saw the order, when she saw all the servants all in their right places, you know what's funny about that? That for me, it's a, I remember the day I got saved. Uh, I was invited to a home fellowship, and I came into the house. And it was, you know what impressed me? How do all these people know these songs? I was so amazed. They're, well, I've never seen anything like this. They have their eyes closed. They all sing. Like, I have my eyes open. What are they doing with their eyes closed? And how? where are the words? And how do they all? I know, I know we put the words up on the screens, but... And that home fellowship, we didn't, they didn't have screens then. They, everyone knew the words. And believe it or not, even something small like that just took my breath away. Like, what is this? What's going on? And I think for unbelievers, they come into the church and, it, you know, to see one guy up in front, oh, yeah, he's kind of like the professional. We expect that from him. A lot of times when I do funerals or weddings, I love to involve as many people that know the Lord as possible. Because I know there are unbelievers there that the more they hear them pray and her pray and see him sing and, and they see the gifting and hear the quality of people, man, it just takes their breath away. What is this? 
What kind of community are these young people surrounded by? I've never seen anything like it. And I think when people come in and they see all the gifted people serving and all the ways that everyone, Jesus is building his church, it just, it just uh, takes their spirit away. There's no more spirit in her. And then she said to the king, it was a true report. So interesting, how did she hear about Solomon? The report went out. How, how do people hear about Jesus? We have to tell people. We have to report about how the Lord is working and how he's working in our lives and how he's changed us. And, and it's beautiful as that report goes out, others become curious. And, and somehow it had, Solomon's glory had been reported to her. And, and she came and said, it was a true report, which I heard with my own, uh, in my own land, about your words. I've heard about your words. Heard about the word of Solomon. The wisdom of Solomon, right? The words and the wisdom of Solomon is impressive, but the words of Jesus, this, this all points to Jesus and how uh, people hear of his words and they hear of his wisdom and they, they hear of his work. And, and verse 7, she says, however, I did not, she's an unbeliever, I did not believe the words until I came. That's how people are saved. People that don't believe, she didn't believe in Solomon. She had to come, and she had to see with her own eyes. She had to experience Solomon for herself. And I, I love this. I always think of this. And indeed, the half was not told me. Like, I had heard of your glory. I'd heard of your servants. I'd heard of your kingdom and your your, uh, your words, and but the half wasn't told me. Whenever I read that verse, I always think of that's how it's going to be us when we get to heaven. We're going to be like, I, the half, the half wasn't even told me. You know, there's even a verse that says uh, in Ephesians that in the ages to come, He's going to show us his grace and his glory, the exceeding riches of his grace and glory. And, and I, I don't know how long an age is, but the way I picture it is like, like for an entire age, God is going to be showing us new things about himself that we've never known. And right when you think like, oh my gosh, I think I know who Jesus is, he's going to turn to another age. And just show us a whole nother side of his glory and goodness and grace. And then he's going to turn to another age and another age. And, and I, I think of that when I think of this. Um, Indeed, the half was not told me. I think we'll say that to the Lord one day. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of what, I, what I've heard. Like, Lord, I pictured you. I thought of you. I've read of you. But... Not even half of, of the truth when, when we'll one day be there in person. And verse 8, happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Boy, I think of that, those of us that are followers of Jesus, those of us that are part of what Jesus is building Man, how happy are we to serve the Lord? 
How happy are we to stand continually before the Lord and continually have an ear to him and continually be walking in his wisdom. You know, I think you, 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 know, you just see it. I, I see who I was before I got saved, and I, I would have been on this path. And instead, you know, for me it was 18, and I'm on this path. And I know who I'd be. I'd be a drunk. I'd be a casual drug user. I would be immoral. I would have failed in my marriage probably multiple times. I would have been a poor father. I would have destroyed those that I loved the most. I know that's where I would have gone. Or worse. But instead, God saved me and my life turned and just, you know, fills you with his wisdom. One man, one woman, love this woman, serve this woman. Just love your kids, serve them, put them first, faithful to them. Never want the wisdom. I never want to do anything that would be a bad example for them. Want to set an example for them. Want to lead them. Want to love them. Want them to be more than I could be in the Lord. You know, all this wisdom God gives you. And, and we, we just, happy are your men, happy are these your servants and who stand continually before you. This is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And we get to hear, we're just always, you know, this is the New Testament. We have ears to hear his wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, the Queen of Sheba says, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. That's a whole other story of Israel, God's plan for them forever. Therefore, he made you king. This is so interesting to do justice and righteousness. This is all fulfilled in Jesus. He's, Jesus is greater. Jesus on the cross fulfilled this in doing what was just. Right? God poured out on him the just judgment that you deserve. And in exchange, Jesus gives you his righteousness. And, and, and because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you a king to do justice and righteousness. This is the message of Jesus and then she gave. So, so natural. She's now a believer in the king. She now believes it's true. She's now met him. And now she's a giver. She, you can't help but to, when you know uh, Jesus that you, you start giving. There's something wrong if you don't start giving. Giving financially, giving your life, giving your time, giving to others. I mean, you just are a giver. And then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quality, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Just her response was just a lavish response. Now, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired. It's just such biblical message of of when we delight ourselves in the Lord. That's his desire, is to give us the desires of our heart. And King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired. Interesting, whatever she asked, just like right out of the promises of the New Testament, where Jesus says, if you ask, 
Whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. It's almost like this message, like uh, the Queen of Sheba immediately wanted to give to this glorious king, but she couldn't outgive him. She couldn't outgive his generosity. And, and so uh, we just see these st- strong pictures of this type of Jesus in this story. And so she turned and went to her own country. And so uh, let, let's just read that again, what we read in our text, because we understand it so much more now. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, Luke eleven thirty one, will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Why will she be able to condemn them? Because she came from 1,200 miles away from Yemen today, from Sheba. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She came, she heard, she believed. Who were these in Jesus' day? They were evil. They would see the demons that possessed right in front of them, be in their right mind, and they'd be like, I want to see a sign from heaven. It's not enough. I want to see more. And they would hear his words, but they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't repent. And so Jesus is saying the queen of Sheba will rise up and condemn you because she came from so far away, and she believed the wisdom of Solomon. And we read here, and indeed, we saw it as we went through the chapter. We did that on purpose. Indeed, a greater, Jesus teaches us to think this way. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jonah is a type of him. Jesus is greater than Solomon. In so many ways, um, uh, Solomon points to Jesus. So we're just going to finish talking about this. Uh, again, go back just a slide on uh, verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment, right? Uh, and we read that of Jonah when we read about how they're going to rise up uh, in, uh, the, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up in the judgment. The judgment is talking about Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Maybe you were thinking of that already. It, it's what uh, the Bible ends with, the great white throne judgment. And if you haven't read that chapter, you want to be very familiar with that chapter because as you read that, it says that the books are going to be opened. And the dead, all the unsaved dead of all the ages are going to be resurrected. This is not a judgment of believers in Jesus. But this is a judgment of all the unsaved dead of all the ages resurrected and standing before Jesus on the throne. And it says the books are going to be open. One of the books that's going to be open is the book of the law. And every one of those that stand there that think like, hey, I was pretty good. I was a good person. I prayed. I was religious. God's going to put their life next to the law. Have you ever had any of God's before me? You've broken my law. Justice must be meted out on you. Have you ever lived for any idols? Justice must be meted out on you. Have you ever dishonored your mother and father? Justice, or I'm not just. Justice must be, justice must be meted out. Well, that's why Jesus went to the cross. He took that. God is a just God. 
And the book of the law will be open. And another book that will be open is Jesus said that men are going to give account for every idle word they've ever spoke. And that your own words will either condemn you or save you. Can you imagine a book recalling every single idle word you've ever spoke? Aren't you glad that Jesus died to pay for your sins? And to take the judgment? Can you imagine being judged by your own words? Aren't you so thankful that Jesus blotted out all your sins so you could never be tried for those again? And and the unsaved of all the ages, the books are going to be open. The book of Jonah is going to be opened. Here's men that repented at Jonah, but you wouldn't repent at the preaching you heard? The book of Kings is going to be open. Here's a woman that came 1,200 miles, and she heard and believed. Solomon, and you weren't willing to make any effort at all, and you wouldn't believe. And it's so sobering when you read that in that that book, the last book of the Bible, anyone, uh, Revelation 2015, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right, That'll be the reality is that for those standing there that my name's not in what's called the book of life or the Lamb's book of life a chapter later. What Jesus, the Lamb of God, did for me, I didn't receive. And my name's not written in heaven. And that would be a question to ask yourself. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And, And right there in those same verses, it says that this is the second death. And even if you don't know much about the Bible, you know that doesn't sound good. I don't know what the second death is, but it doesn't sound good. It's not good. Because the first death is when your soul, at, at physical death, is separated from your physical body. The second death is when your name is not found written in the book of life. And your soul is separated from God for eternity. It's death, eternal death. And and Jesus came that we might have eternal life. You know, we listened to uh, the preaching of Jonah. Listen to the preaching of Jesus. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. Mark 1.15. The kingdom of God is at hand. All you got to do is the kingdom of God. You can reach out and take it. How do I reach out and take it? You've got to repent of your sin. You've got to turn away from your sin and you've got to turn to the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news of what Jesus did for you. I was um, right in the middle row last Sunday. I was here and there was a young 20 year old here and I got got to meet him and um, I asked him, I said, are you saved? He goes, not, not yet. Not yet. And I go, well, that, that's not a good place to be. He goes, I know. I know. Well, are, are you close? He goes, I'm close. I'm really close. I go, well, wouldn't you like to cross that line? Are you ready to cross the line and know that you've trusted Jesus? And he goes, I am ready. I'm ready. And we prayed. Four rows back right here, we prayed. 
And I was asking his friend this week, I said, how's he doing? And he goes, he told me the weight of his sin has come off of his shoulders. And I was like, that's, well, that's, a, that's a good sign that he's experiencing the weight of his sin is off of his shoulders. Let's pray. Let's have the worship team come back up. We're going to close with communion this morning.